and how that signifies that we bring our truth under subjection to God's truth that is authority, that is the final word. And, you know, as I was studying this week, we're going to be talking about the breastplate of righteousness. And so I started studying righteousness and it's so vast, so large. And I thought I had it. I thought I had the, the meaning of righteousness. I was like, all right, this is it. And then I would follow a rabbit trail and be like, oh, no, no, this is righteousness over here. And it happened like 10 times. And I said, I can't preach on righteousness. And, you know, I, I, I felt the humor of God say, just pick one thing. You're not going to capture it all. It's like, it's like trying to, to give a message on God's love. We'll be here forever. You know, it's, the Bible says that God is uh, unsearchable. That his, his knowledge, his wisdom is, is large and there's a lot of depth that you can't reach. You know, we, we are, um, God has given us insight to, to be able to see his goodness, see his mercy, see his righteousness. Even though we may not comprehend it, we're allowed. He, he allows us to see those things. So this morning, let's open up our hearts this morning as we pray and, and, and come together as a church to talk about God's righteousness. Father, I pray that you would bless this time that we have together as a church. Open up our hearts, our minds. Let our spirit connect with your spirit. Lord, let us take in everything that you have for us this morning as we talk about your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you this morning that there's two types of righteousness that I have discovered in the Bible. I didn't, well, I didn't discover it, but that I come to know. Typically in the Old Testament, when we talk about God's righteousness, we're talking about his judgment. We're talking about his, his rule and his authority. Matter of fact, righteousness means this, that God will always act in accordance to what is right and is himself the final standard for what is right. Now, righteousness is an attribute of God, an attribute of God. That means that the righteousness is what makes up who God is. It's part of his character. When Ephesians tells us in, ch in uh, chapter 6, verse 14, that we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness, it's saying to put on God's rule and reign and authority. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Now, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we've heard this, we've read it. You know, to be honest, I can't even tie my shoes in the morning. How am I going to put on the breastplate of righteousness? I don't know about you, but sometimes I leave my shoes tied, and when I'm running late, I just slip on my shoes, and I'm running out the door. But if you think about it, how do you put on the breastplate of righteousness? What does that mean? Now, when I, when I read, I've read some commentary on this, and, you know, it, it's not how good you are. It's not about how good you are as a person, 
It's not about what makes you right. It's not your style of living. But there is a caveat because it does have something to do with that. But that's not the point. The breastplate of righteousness, when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, it means that we are walking in humility. And we're going to discover why that is this morning. Before we go any further, I want to read an interesting story that has to do with putting on garments this morning. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 22. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning on this story that I find to be so intriguing. Now, Jesus was almost on his way to the cross. He was talking to the Pharisees and he was really saying, saying it how it is. Matter of fact, before this story, he had a conversation with the Pharisees and he said, listen, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will make it into the kingdom of heaven before you do. Think about that. That is, man. So here, here Jesus is talking and he wants to give a, he's giving a parable of the wedding feast. And he says this, he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast. Now, we need to pay attention here because Jesus is revealing to us what the kingdom of heaven is about. He said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now, I want to tell you this morning that there's an invitation for everyone to accept Christ. And not everybody accepts. But let's read further. It says in verse 4, Again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The king is saying, man, I've, I've prepared food at the table. I've, I've provided everything. Those same people that rejected, tell them to come. Tell them I have this, this feast ready for them. And it says that they paid no attention and they went off. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized the servants who were giving this message, treated them shamefully and killed them. Verse 7 says, the king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready but those invited were not worthy. Now, I want to stop right here and tell you that this was a prophetic word given to Jesus because what would happen in the future was, was this. Jesus would be crucified. He came, uh, as, you know, he came as our Savior into the world and he preached to the Jews. They rejected him. They crucified him. And 30 years, around 30 years after this point, 
the Jews would, would the, the Roman Empire would come in, they would seize and burn down the temple, and they would destroy the city and leave them in ruin. Now, let's go further. It says that they weren't worthy. So this is interesting. It says in verse 9, it says, Go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding. Invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. So the king is saying, now it's, it's, it's just open. Find anybody who, who wants to come. Now, it says in verse 10, And those servants went out to the roads, and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, I find that interesting because it's, again, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And in this feast, you have bad people and you have good people in the wedding feast, in, in God's presence. Think about that for a moment. See, the issue that, that was brought to my attention when I read this is that many times we qualify people. We qualify people. We, we make a choice to share with them based on whether we think they're good or bad. And what the scripture's telling us here is that there's going to be good and bad people at the wedding feast. You know, some of us have it together. Some of us don't. Some of us struggle. Some of us have sin issues that, that are getting worked out. There are some people that I've met that, were, that are a better person than me, morally, don't know Jesus. I've met people that have struggled and struggled with, with sin and, and have questioned their salvation, but they're there in church. They're trying to figure it out. Some may dismiss them as being bad people. Some may dismiss them as being not saved or, or what have you. Some may look at someone and, and, and think because of their lifestyle, they're bad people. But the king said, invite everybody. Everybody's going to come to my party. I'm, I'm preparing a feast for my son and I want everybody there. And so they said they found everybody, the good and the bad. Now, verse 11 is interesting because it says this. It says, when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw a man who had no wedding garment. What about the bad person? You think the king would come in and immediately say, man, these, I want these bad people out of here. I, want, I only want to keep the good people at my party. But no, the king points out the wedding crasher. Look, at, look what happens here. He says, he says, where's your wedding garment? Now, the, the man, it says in verse 12, he said, friend, the king says, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? 
And he was speechless. So from what we can tell in this story is that everybody was invited. Everybody, good and bad. But as they came to this wedding, they were given wedding garments. Wasn't about how good they were. It wasn't about how bad they were. It was about what they were clothed in that made them worthy. Now, the wedding garments, it costed a great price to wear those wedding garments. Jesus, in giving this parable, tell, you know, says that they were all wearing these garments, but we know today what it cost. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made himself to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Let's talk about that for a minute because, oh, I'm sorry, let's, let's finish our story. It says here in verse 13, the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into outer, outer darkness. In that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, see, the wedding crasher that I would like to call this morning, he came he was invited, but he wasn't wearing the garments. There are people that come to church. There are people who come and hear the gospel, but they say, I'm not ready for that. I want to be a part of the party, but I don't want to respect the host. I, I want to be here and, and, and see what it is you have to offer, but in reality, I'm just here to crash the party. I'm just here to see what, what I can get. Let, let me see how much I can drink. Let me see how much I can eat. Let me see who I can mingle with, but then I'm out of here. That was this guy. He was the guy who had no interest in paying honor to the king by wearing his garments. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, it says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God's righteousness is what you put on. It's not who you are. It's not whether you're good or bad. It's whether you decided to pay honor and respect to the king. You came to the party, you came to the wedding, but are you truly there for the king, right? That's, 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 that's the point. 
Now, there are two types of righteousness, and we talked a little bit about God's righteousness. It's his attributes, who he is. It says here in Deuteronomy, the wrong, I'm sorry, chapter 32, verse 4. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, it says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Psalms 89, 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. God's righteousness. There are times, I'm sure you've been there before, where, man, all hell's breaking loose. You're going through a difficult season. You can't make sense of the things that are happening in your life. But have you ever paused? Have you ever paused and and, and just said, Lord, you're so just. You're you're so good. Do you think that happens because you're just a good person and you can see the good in everything? No. It's the Holy Spirit revealing God's attribute of righteousness in the situation. God is saying, I'm going to allow you to see my goodness in the situation. God's righteousness. There is also a righteousness in regards to our moral standing in the eyes of God. When a person attempts to be in right standing with God without Christ's forgiveness of sins, someone's trying to be right in life. That is the righteousness we're talking about in this instance. Also, a person who will try everything to feel fulfilled satisfied, accepted outside of the love of Christ. It won't be found because only God is righteous. Jesus himself said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. In this instance, this word righteous is talking about the moral standing, the standard from, for which a person is in their life, a, a very good person. I mean, you could probably say the Pharisees were righteous. Their, their attempt to be right with God. And Jesus said, I didn't come for them. Now, it says in Isaiah 64, 6, it says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Our righteousness doesn't compare. Has, I mean, we can, we can try to be super good and, and, and maybe according to the, words, the world standards, we're a very good person, but God sees that as a polluted garment and that's not good. It's not good. Look what it says in Romans 5, verse 7 and 8. It says, for one will scarcely die. So a person will scarcely die for a righteous person, Paul is saying. Though perhaps for a good person, 
someone would even dare to die. Right? So he's talking about Christ. He said, you know, like, scarcely would someone give his life for someone who is righteous. And maybe for someone who is good. But it says, but God who is, who shows this love for us while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That type of righteousness is not good. doesn't really serve a purpose in God's acceptance. Now, let's sum all this up together. So what does it mean to have the breastplate of righteousness? When you think of the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us to be called the righteousness of God, I mean, just think about that for a minute. It says that Jesus became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Now, in the study, righteousness is referring to the attribute of God, his his righteousness. Jesus gave his life so that we could become his righteousness. I mean, I can't even begin to fathom and think and wrap my head around that statement. We're righteous because of Jesus, I mean, that, that doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't have to make sense. And to have this breastplate of righteousness means that I'm going to walk with humility. I'm going to walk different. See, someone who goes into battle and has no breastplate it's just open to an attack. The breastplate protects the heart, protects the organs, protects everything. But when we have the righteousness of God, we're going to walk in humility. We're, gonna, we're not going to walk like someone who says, I, I can do that. I can do this. I, I can go into battle. And I'm good with the sword, and I'm good, and I can do everything, and I can start swinging and chopping and doing no, dude, you're gonna get you're gonna get in trouble because it's not the breastplate of pride. It's not the breastplate of your own security. It's the breastplate of righteousness. And when we begin to wear that righteousness and think of the price that Jesus paid so that we could be made his righteousness, we're gonna walk different. We're gonna walk in humility. And I believe that that is what the breastplate does. Now, in closing, I would just like to say this. When we have that breastplate, it's going to change everything about us. It's going to change the way we act, the way we walk, the way we talk. It's going to change everything about us because... We know the price. We know the price. Let's, let's read that verse once again. It says, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this, this morning. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word.